Monday morning. As many of you know, we have an amazing lineup every Monday here at the Nahum Single Network right here at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSingle.com, on the Nahum Single Network, and of course, the beloved NSN app. And I allude to that great lineup, Mayor Weingarten coming up at the Israel Show. I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to speak with Mayor before the Israel Show begins at 9 a.m. At 10 o'clock, who would have thunk it? We have our very own sports show. Yoni Pollock is going to be leading after further review, and I would guess he'll discuss the uh, tragedy, if there is such a word. <laughs> All right, let's say travesty. <laughs> Of the Yankees only have four, only having four All Stars at the All Star game. You know, Yoni, who's from Houston, should have a word with his manager that the Yankees really deserve to have more. But all right, that's for Yoni to decide uh, during the ten o'clock hour. In the eleven o'clock hour, Novak now with Jake Novak. He is in fact our political and economic consultant and commentator, and joins us live via telephone on a Monday morning. Jake Novak, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, thank you for having me. A pleasure. You know, over Shabbos, so we were having a little bit of fun uh, trying to see if realistically, if things break right and if this president is reelected, if he'll have an opportunity to select four um, four justices on the Supreme Court of the United States. Now, I'm looking at it more carefully this morning. Four might be a little bit out of realm, but three is certainly within realm. Do you think so? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, actually, three could happen even if he isn't reelected. Um, wow. You, you have some elderly members of the court. You know, you don't want to be morbid. I don't play Deadpool games, so, so don't accuse me of that. But, right. you know, you have some elderly members of the court, um, and you have some members of the court who may uh, want to retire because of those health reasons. Uh, it, there's a lot of possibilities, and, and, a lot of that, and nobody gambled on certain people who left the court, you know, a few, several years ago. No one expected Antonin Scalia to, be, to pass away, and he did, surprisingly. Right. Uh, so things like that can happen, and, you know, we're, we're all human. Um, you know, Richard Nixon wasn't even president for the full eight years, as we all know, and he, and he had a massive number of, of, of uh, appointees to the court. Well, so, he, he had yeah. three. He had three, yeah. right? Yeah, and that's a big number for six years. You know, six years. Yeah, it's really, funny. It, it's six. funny. He was, he was in office for less than six years. It's so, funny. Yeah. It was correct, right. I, I was thinking that, I mean, the last one who did four was Eisenhower. Yeah. But he was a two-term president. Yes. And I saw a statistic that was, I, I actually, I was shocked I didn't know this until today. <laughs> FDR had eight appointments. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you would, you know, and and you would think he would have even more, right? Uh, being president for you know for more than twelve years, but you know, it's very important not to, and that's one of the things I'm going to talk about on the show today, not to put too much weight. Uh, not not you know the president's uh, uh, power to uh, to nominate justice is is huge. I'm not saying to underestimate that, right. but to to people often forget like well this president turned the court too far to the right or this chief justice did that the courts are very much like the political makeup of the country in that usually they're late to the party whatever the court does or what a president does not so much a president but the government in general congress is usually way late after the public has made a decision about a particular issue uh... in other words Take, take slavery as an issue. The abolitionist movement in this country was going on for decades and decades and decades before Congress even took it up. Right. So we shouldn't, you know, when, when we say the court moved the country to the right, that's a mistake. And it's something I want to talk about because my experience as a New Yorker, many, many of the viewers know, sorry, listeners know, I didn't grow up here in New York City. I mean, I, I did a, a decent amount of my growing up here, but for my first 10, 11 years, I was living in the South. Of the, of the United States, and, you know, your first 11 years is like your first 50 years. That's when you get programmed as a human. Right. And 
I saw something happen in New York. I moved to New York in the high crime days of 1981, moved to Far Rockaway, Queens, which was really an epicenter of crime in New York City, unfortunately. And it was a real shock for me coming from a pastoral southern uh, background. And I saw this city change, and I didn't see it from the cops, and I didn't see it from the politicians, and I didn't see it from the judges. I saw it from the people, and I'm going to talk about a particular case that taught me that lesson, as I saw it from the jurors in one very, very famous case in Far Rockway, and then the listeners from that area will know what I'm talking about, that took place in 1981, 1982. So it's the people who come first, and we should always remember that before we get too crazy about judicial nominees. Okay, but... With that, with that in mind, yes. yeah, and it's funny because you're saying this as Kennedy's being replaced. Yes, uh, you have to admit he did. He made a couple of decisions that certainly altered the court's view of the United States of America. And for those who, you know, put a lot of faith in in him as a Reagan appointee, yeah. you know, you you could find at least two cases I could think of where he he was pretty disappointing. Yeah, I, I think, though, however, uh, you know, while he was, he was the swing vote, but that's only relatively so. So, for example, if uh, President Trump uh, nominates a solid conservative and that judge remains solidly conservative, then, then John Roberts will become the swing vote. But that's only in relative terms. Yes, there were a couple of cases where Anthony Kennedy, I, I wouldn't say completely shocked the conservative world. Right, correct. But he was, for the most especially part, once a we conservative got to, Especially justice. once we got to know him, right. Yes, he was, for the most part, a conservative justice. I think he was mostly not disappointing in that sense. I mean, compare him to, some, you know, to, to Judge, Judge Souter, David Souter, who was one of George H.W. Bush's nominees. Right. He was a much more solid conservative. Right. He was a more solid conservative than Sandra Day O'Connor, who was Reagan's first appointee. Right. So I think... Again, I, I think it's, it's again it's all on relative terms, and I understand why. And I don't think it's inaccurate to say he was the swing vote, but understand that that was still coming from the conservative uh, ballpark. Interesting. Um, Jake Novak's with us. Novak now, of course, um, every Monday, eleven a.m. Eastern Time. Um, what do you think of the What do you think of the automatic reaction that so many in the Jewish community had? I doubt other communities around the world had it. That when these uh, boys were trapped in that cave, Israeli technology could likely figure out a way to get them out. Yeah, I mean, at first I was thinking, oh, this is really great. And then I thought, like, well, the Israeli technology actually helped find them. So so they actually already contributed greatly to this effort. Boy, this is really something. I mean, actually, you know, what I thought you were going to ask is one of the first things I thought of was, what was it, three, four, I guess four summers ago when those Israeli boys were missing for so long, the kidnapped boys. And, of course, their case ended up so tragically. And I think anyone who went through that, even if they were just somebody like me put it, tying, tying a yellow ribbon around a tree or whatever a lot of us were doing, it, it's, just, it's, it's a human story that we're all hoping for. And sure, we're hoping for Israeli technology to play an even bigger role. But like I said, it's already played a huge role because they would not have found them right. in the first place without some Israeli technology. But boy, anyone who remembers that from four summers ago is probably having flashbacks to it on an emotional level. I know I am. Yeah, no question about that. Um... I just found it interesting that there are people, especially, again, in our community, who, like, uh, you know, at this point, you know, just assume that Israel's going to— You know, I jokingly, when when the woman was climbing up the Statue of Liberty, <laughs> I jokingly posted, you know, who's going to call Israel and figure out— and, you know, and, and find out how to get her down, because, you know— <laughs> Oh, I thought you were going to say, what uh, what synagogue on the Upper West Side is that woman a member of? <laughs> I thought that's what you were going to say. So, no, no, listen, you know, I- Israeli technology— and, you know, it, it's not just the Jewish Seichel and the Yiddish Cup and all those kinds of things. What's, and, and, by the way, this is a story that's developing in Israel just as we speak right now. The, Israel, over the last 20 years, has gone through this major deregulatory-type push 
from the top down that has allowed the startup nation to be what it is. You know, when we talk about startup nation, we usually think of, oh, this is, you know, Jewish minds and some of those folks from Russia who got that great engineering education who came to Israel in the late 80s and, and, and helped the tech sector there grow. And that's a big part of it. But another big part of it is that it's exceedingly easy in Israel to start a new company and start a new business. And that is where all growth and innovation comes from. Once you become a major corporation, Nachum, you not only stop being a major employer, by the way. You, you, you don't grow as an employer, I mean. You also really, the innovation stops. You'll, you'll notice when big corporations come up with an innovation, it's because they bought a smaller company, not right. because they came up with it on their own. And Israel is the king of not a lot, you know, it's just not big enough and it doesn't have the manpower to have these huge monolithic com companies. And we used to bemoan that, like, oh, we wish Israel had a big car company or a big oil company. Not so fast. It's better to have a, com a country that keeps growing new companies uh, in, the, in a petri dish over and over again. And, that, and, and I say that's a, a developing story in Israel right now because right now you have Prime Minister Netanyahu and his finance minister, Moshe Kahlon, in a major battle over union power in Israel, which Netanyahu still sees as a major roadblock to continuing smaller companies from growing in Israel and getting up a foothold. And right now the two of them are having a real feud over that. Interesting. Um, so it's better to spread a wider net, let's put it that way, of technology and innovation than to worry about, as you described it, you know, having one or two massive companies that dominate your economy. Yeah. They, it, 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 for example, you have Amazon now. So Amazon... Right. Is still growing tremendously because they're 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 just they're taking over a lot of new industries, but at some point their ability as a hiring agent in this country is going to slow considerably because they just aren't going to be they're going to be looking for more. Uh, what bigger companies do is they look to cut costs. Mm -hmm. That's a huge part of it, and, and employment and labor is a big part of that. And why start a new company or, or a new innovation? And there's so many great examples of that. You know, so many of the uh, Apple is a, has, owes a lot of its success to the fact that Xerox wasn't willing to expand and start new things. I mean, we use the mouse. It was really Xerox that, that developed it. But they gave the technology to Apple because eh, they didn't want it. They didn't want, that wasn't their core business, and they were looking to cut costs, and that wasn't what they wanted to do. I mean, now Xerox is, is a shell of its former self, and look at Apple. So right. things like that are, are important lessons to learn. Interesting. Jake Novak's with us. You can hear Novak now every Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern time right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. All right, so today we have the Supreme Court nominee. Yeah. It's going to happen today at some point, right? Yeah, I mean, the announcement officially at 9 p.m., I'm not going to – I don't bet on nominees because unlike elections and things like that, I have no polls to work with that, you know, that, I, can even, that I can adjust for. But I will, I will be surprised if the name doesn't leak out before 9 p.m. You know, the, the right. nominee ends up going to the White House to be at the ceremony. Someone's going to see him or her. So I, I have a feeling – uh, I feel like 6 p.m., 7 p.m., that name's going to come out. And what type of summer will it be? Will it be a big battle in Congress, or obviously it depends on who the nominee is? Yeah, no, it'll be a big battle no matter what. Uh, as many people have said, he could choose Moses, he could choose Jesus, <laughs> depending on your religion, uh, and there would be a battle. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for the battle. The Democrats, you know, listen, the Democrats have, have a big problem that not enough people talk about, in my opinion, They've got tons of problems, so do the, the establishment Republicans. But the Democrats' biggest problem that none of people talk about is, Malcolm, they don't have a leader. They don't have a candidate. Now, right. it's a little early for that. It's okay that they don't have one right away because 2020 is, is – but I think six or seven months from now, if they still don't have a leading kind of candidate who looks like he, he or she could beat Donald Trump, they've got a problem. So in the absence of a candidate, they have to throw a tantrum. They have to show like they're really, really resisting the president, and they have a major issue on their hands. So they're going to make this nominee about Roe v. Wade. They're going to try to scare people into believing Roe v. Wade will be overturned, which, by the way, 
No serious legal expert in America believes that will ever happen. Some states might continue to restrict abortion, and that's where the court could play a role. But a nationwide overturning of the abortion laws, whether you like them or not, is, it, no one really believes that will happen. Mm-hmm. But that's not important. for the, the Democrats have to have fundraise off of that. They need to frighten their, court, their base supporters in, into that. So whoever is chosen, I, you can bet that the Democrats will come out the next day and say, this is a, this is a nominee who will, who will overturn all abortion rights for all women no matter what. And thus we must, uh, you know, lie down. They'll, they'll probably even try a standing filibuster in the Senate, which will last as long as they can stand up. Luckily, the average age for a senator is between 90 and died last Tuesday, so they won't be able to stand for too long. But, you know, that's what's going to happen. And it'll be, you know, it'll be one of those things where it's just kind of a, a shanda. It, it'll be an embarrassing uh, sound and fury signifying nothing, because honestly there's very little they're going to be able to do. I doubt President Trump will choose a nominee that will turn off two Republican senators. And that's really all that, that needs to happen. If, if, if two Republican senators are if – if they can't get two Republican senators to vote against the nominee, then it, that's all she wrote. Interesting. Um, uh, two other things. First of all, you mentioned the Democrats have no leader. You know, yeah. yes, yesterday, I don't know if you saw this, uh, uh, the mayor of the city of New York was visiting Bernie Sanders. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. And, yeah. and already someone speculated a Sanders de Blasio ticket. What do you think of that? Well, there's a large graveyard filled with former and, and current <laughs> New York City mayors who think they're going to be president. Right, that's true. Uh, starting with uh, people, you know, a century ago. Uh, the, the more recent examples are John Lindsay, who was the mayor of New York City in the 1960s, got extremely lucky in both of his elections. He, was, he had two terms as mayor. Just a, 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 an upward, a, sort of a positive feeling in New York got him reelected despite, you know, a really poor record on his behalf. He came in as a Republican, changed his party to Democrats because he figured he had a better chance against Richard Nixon. You know, Richard Nixon won a huge landslide in 72, but, uh, but in 70 and 71, his poll numbers were way down. He got lucky with a good resurgence of the economy, and people liked the Chinese uh, rapprochement that he made. And, of course, he ran against a, a, very, a totally unelectable George McGovern. Right. But the point, and then you had Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, who couldn't even win a decent number of percentage of votes in Florida, uh, where you would think he would have done well. New York City mayors don't do well. This is one of the reasons why Donald Trump is such an anomaly. You know, a, a big New York type, big New York personality type with a big, thick New York accent, I thought had, would never have a chance to win an election uh, outside of New York, and yet he did that. But I think a big reason why is because he wasn't a politician, and, and we can talk about that in another show for a long time. But New York City mayors who think they can run, not forget about this president, who think they can run for governor successfully right. are out of their minds. It's right. just a different electorate, a different game, and um, if de Blasio tries to run, whether it's with Sanders or anybody else, he's going to be embarrassed when he runs in Iowa and comes in ninth out of eight candidates. Right. I mean, that's what's going to happen. So it's, um, it's the second best job in America, but you have to realize the Peter Principle will keep you at that level, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, never to advance. And you should, by the way, someone should say this to Andrew Cuomo, because I would bet he has some uh, sights in the White House. Cuomo's in the same position. I, I almost wish he runs. Right. So that he can go to Iowa and see how unappealing and unpersuasive a person is. By the way, I'm I'm getting more and more of a feeling. Is it just the positive press she's getting that 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 Nixon's you know making some headway against him? Is that a completely wrong impression? No, she'll she'll make some headway. She's not going to win, but she'll get some. She'll get a higher percentage than some people think, and this will severely undermine Cuomo's presidential aspirations. The reason why is again, Cuomo is in that office for a couple of reasons. There was a scandal that got him in there. Uh, you know, David Patterson took over for uh, for Elliot Spitzer, but that really it cleared the decks among Democrats who had been running. So Cuomo got to be governor earlier than I think he expected to be, and he and he won on his name. His, the Cuomo name is is popular downstate, and right. it, it won him the office. You see him in personal interactions, and you see the way he talks and the way he looks. 
He's not the kind of person who makes you happy. He's not the kind of person who makes you want to vote for them. And, I, again, you probably heard me say this. I don't care if you're Einstein or the least educated person in America. We vote in America, and, and people get very upset when I say this because they all believe we're better than this. But we vote based on, our, on an emotional connection we make with a candidate within the first five to ten minutes that we see them. And sometimes they have a chance to reassess that, but that's about it. Now, if you're emotionally well-adjusted, the candidate that your emotions choose also makes sense on the basis of other data and other reasons. But the fact is, we vote for personalities in this country, except, except in these midterm type of elections where most of us don't even know who our congressman or senator is. That's a different story. That's when we might vote on an issue like the economy. Right. I would so think. Andrew Cuomo just does not have a persuasive personality. And by the way, neither did Hillary. And that's the biggest reason why Hillary Clinton didn't win. You know, there are a lot of people who believed in a lot of the things she believed in, supposedly. But her voice was like chalk, you know, fingernails on a chalkboard, and they weren't going to vote for this person no matter what party or issue she represented. Right. People just didn't like her. It was, no. it was more than not relating to her. People right. didn't and, like her. And they're her. afraid to say that. You, know, you don't want to go and say, like, well, I don't just like her. You know? So you come up with emails or you come up with a bunch right. of fake reasons. And I don't think that these are phony issues. I'm not saying they're phony issues, but they're not the real reason why you vote or don't vote for somebody. They're, listen, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I promise you there are psychiatrists who have written many, many volumes of this. They've convinced me, speaking of persuasion, that no matter how smart I think I am, and sometimes I don't think I'm so smart, so don't worry about that, but no matter how smart we think we are, it is an emotional thing, just like that, that's the way we choose a wife. And you hope that you're rational enough that the wife or, or spouse that you choose makes sense on a rational basis. But I hope that you don't go to your parents or your friends and say, well, I'm marrying you know, Sheila because she's the most qualified to be my wife. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Jake, i got to ask you then, and, and this is how I'll wrap up, because people, people in this area in New York will, be, will, will, will have a big question mark uh, in, yeah. the, in their mind if I don't ask you about it. But I'll do it this way because of what we just brought up. Yeah. Uh, why can uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez beat Crowley, but Nixon can't beat Cuomo? Well, she is a much more attractive candidate. Alexandria, she she may not be as poor or as humble and upbringing, you know, having a poor and humble and upbringing as she says she did. She grew up more in Yorktown Heights and, and not so much in the Bronx. But she's a younger candidate. She does not seem like a career politician, although from an from a ideological point of view, she is a career kind of politician. But she absolutely is a more persuasive person. And I warn conservatives and Republicans not to poo-poo her so quickly, because she is a more attractive, in many ways, candidate than anybody else. And that's how we vote, folks. So people are going to look at her. You know, I can just see now Upper West Side elderly Jewish women looking at her, saying she's a nice-looking girl. I, you know, I love her. You know, if she were Jewish, I'd marry her to my son. I mean, honestly, that's the way people think. I know it sounds. I'm, I'm really not trying to belittle anybody because that is just the way even smart people think. So she's got a lot more persuasive appeal, and I would I would warn people against thinking she's not going to go any further than this. She could. It's very possible she'll crash and burn on her socialist agenda as well, because she may not be able to persuasively present it very well. But if she sticks with her personality and that smile, watch out. So you're not convinced that the, the, the desire among the electorate in that district, among the Democrats, and that district was simply, you know, change? They just wanted to have, make a change? Just, you know, the, They'd gotten sick of the old candidate. There's no, there's no possibility that that's all it was. Uh, if so let's put it this way, I think that that election had a lot to do with uh, with uh, with race and with the fact that she's a Latina. But if it had been an older uh, career politician Latin Latino man running against Crowley, he wouldn't have won. Uh-huh. So let's put it that way. You, yeah, you you got to have the 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 the, ba- the you know the sort of calling card and the resume to win in in a, in, a, in, a, in districts like that. But you still have to have a personal personal look. Now, again, I, midterm elections, 
you have to throw out personality most of the time because a lot of people don't know who their Congress people and certainly the person challenging their congressperson is. Right. But in this case, she got her face in front of the voters in door-to-door type of electioneering, which, by the way, way too many candidates in America have thrown out. You know, they, we talked in yep. the presidential election about how Hillary didn't even visit states like Wisconsin yep. and Pennsylvania or whatever. It was. I, I know she didn't go to Wisconsin. I, I think she also didn't go to Michigan. Right. So that's in the presidential election. By the way, even at the local level, there's not enough of that. Yep. I can't tell you how many times, even people for, like, city council or for, you know, here on Long Island, where I live in Nassau County, for, like, the Nassau County legislator, they don't actually go door-to-door anymore. Look, I don't know what they're thinking. I've said this a million times. When Squadron beat Connor down yes. here, yeah. it, it was only because he knocked on every door in the district. That's right. And, 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 I think, and, and she did and, that. And you mentioned uh, city council. I, I can cite more than one city council race. Yeah. In, in our area, that and in our community, I should be more broad about it. Yeah. Um, that uh, that was decided only because the candidate took the time and the effort to literally knock on every door. Absolutely, Simple and it, and it's just so it's amazing to me that people throw this out. It's one of these. It's it, it's so silly, and it's one of those things that. And, and, you know, Donald Trump went to a lot of, you know, when he went to Detroit and all these other places, actually, I thought he was going to go to Baltimore at the height of the violence there. I think that would have been an even bigger bang for his buck. But showing up, I mean, 90, what does it say, 90% of life is showing up. Right. And in the Republican Party, especially, there's a major, major bonus for doing that. Jack Kemp, the late Jack Kemp, used to always say, don't fear the voters. And that was his way of saying, uh, doing what he actually did. Jack Kemp was famous for walking through the streets of the roughest neighborhoods in the country. And places like Harlem... They even like Jack Kemp. I mean, you mentioned Jack Kemp to some of the leaders in the community in Harlem. They'll praise him to the skies, even though he was a Reagan Republican, because he came to Harlem, he made a difference there, and, and put his feet on the ground. Boy, I don't know why they don't teach this in, in whatever you know, public policy schools, <laughs> but I'm sure they're not because they're too busy being in their ivory tower. <laughs> Running for office 101, huh? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Jake, you're amazing. Well, listen, at 11 o'clock this morning, thanks so much for all your insight and your commitment. It's much appreciated. My pleasure. Thank you. Jake Novak, for us, he's the host of Novak Now, a great political commentator and economic commentator. Uh, you'll hear him at 11 o'clock this morning, uh, Eastern Time, right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Looking forward to that and always look forward to uh, pelt, pelting him with questions and getting his answers here at JM in the AM.